Previously, on No Other Way. The voice revealed via live stream that ex-crisis negotiator Frank Cole's drunken driving was responsible for the death of Frank's young daughter Zoe, and he and his lawyer conspired to frame the oncoming driver, Elias. This Elias guy, he doesn't know what happened. He said he was tired, may have fallen asleep at the wheel. His police report is you're out. Leading to Elias's unjust prison sentence. Frank's ex-wife Nora removing Frank from her life for good. Get out! Please. Get out of my goddamn house now! And Frank drinking himself into a drunken stupor. Officer Sam Pierce was exposed by the voice for helping his partner Mac cover up Mac's murder of a young black teen. And the voice live-streamed Mac's murder at the hands of the teen's avenging mother, Rashonda Mickelson. I just wanted to talk to him. Please. One last. Fellow Officer Pope suspected Sam was somehow involved. Just wondering which one of us is next. Me? Guzman? Who? You think I killed my own partner? Later in his apartment, Sam was attacked by a masked assailant, leaving him fearful of any unexpected visitors, even Claudia and Frank. Hey, Psycho! It's just us! Quit freaking out! Man up! And open the goddamn door. Rashonda's getaway driver was interrogated by FBI agent Brubaker. If we live through this, Agent Brubaker, I hope you realize that you're on the wrong side. Live through what? Live through what? Who murdered the driver to antagonize the voice? Your move, asshole. Former enlisted Marine Claudia Vasquez investigated the significance of the warehouse where Mac was murdered. Does Venture Industries LLC mean anything to you? And visited her old friend Sophie in search of a desperate favor. I have to move the body. I need your help. I'm so sorry about what happened to you, Vasquez. And I'll never forget what you've done. But I have a family now. I can't go back. Financial analyst Martin Chen was violently interrogated by his dangerous client, Vera Diaz, and her henchmen, who sought the voice's identity. Why won't you tell me who your friend is? Vera, please. Someone set me up. He was saved at the last second by Frank, Sam, and Claudia. Marty, your friends are going to make it worse for you. Ooh, Marty, huh? Why are we that close? But went back in Sam's apartment. Martin refused to share his secrets with them until they helped him get to his wife Angela and son Miles, whom he hid away from Vera at his father-in-law's mansion. You take me to them? I'll tell you everything. And all four were violently attacked by a spray of gunfire, riddling Sam's windows and walls as they ducked for cover. And now, Chapter 4 Late night at an empty convenience store, Lou Erickson, mid-fifties, balding and out of shape, approaches the counter with a case of beer. Allie, a bored teen perusing her phone, looks up slightly at the sight of him. She nods at the case. Just one tonight? (laughs) What are you, my sponsor? Just looking out for your liver, Lou. There are other parts of me that need looking out for too, you know? Gross. My dad's younger than you. Eh, worth a shot. Was it, though? (laughs) Be safe, hon. Allie feigns a heartfelt goodbye, turning her attention back to her phone as Lou strolls across the parking lot and into his pickup. Lou enters his darkened living room, 
places the case on a table and heads to a bathroom. He hums a tune as he relieves himself. Exiting the bathroom, he grabs the case and strolls through the living room. As he goes, he passes a hooded figure in a ski mask. Unaware, Lou moves into the kitchen. He flicks on a light and pulls a beer from the case before tossing it in the fridge. He twists open the bottle, tossing the cap onto a kitchen table before moving off down a dark hallway. He opens a hallway closet and tosses his coat in. The light from the kitchen causes the cloaked figure's shadow to appear on the wall beside him. Lou catches sight of the shadow and spins around. A tranquilizer dart pierces his neck and he falls back into the closet, grasping and pulling clothes from their hangers in a panic. He gasps for air just as another dart pierces his stomach. He reaches for the neck dart and pulls it out. In a fit of rage, Lou leaps to his feet and charges the figure. Who sprightly leaps out of the way and fires three more darts. This time into Lou's leg and back, sending him crashing into a living room table. The dosage begins to kick in and his movements slow until he's stagnant. Out of the hallway, the figure approaches crouches over him, raises the tranquilizer gun to his face, and whispers, Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Lou regards the figure with fear and befuddlement. His breathing slows, but his jaw trembles uncontrollably as he opens it. The figure removes the mask to reveal a younger Claudia. Scrapes and bruises which adorn her face have healed. Her panting grows heavier, but her aim never wavers. Her expression is inscrutable, cold and empty. She stands and takes a step back. Who are you? Claudia holsters the gun on one hip before pulling a taser from the other. Who are you? <laughs> Chapter 4 Trial Penalty Afghanistan A dwelling sits in the middle of the night, dark and empty. In mountains nearby, a group of four Marines arrive. Team leader Anders, square-jawed and pure alpha male bravado, holds a fist in the air and the team settles behind a rock pile. Stokes, Anders' second-in-command, raises binoculars and cases the dwelling. Falling in behind them are team members, Walker, and an eager, fresh-faced Claudia Vasquez. From the northwest, 900 meters away, a Taliban force of five occupy a parked vehicle equipped with a mounted machine gun. Claudia raises her binoculars and speaks into her comms. One Vic, 300 meters northwest, five packs, heavy machine gun. The voice of their mission commander, Paulson, chirps in their comms. Anders responds. Roger that. Standing by. After a few moments, Stokes spots a figure stepping hastily but cautiously into view, heading toward the dwelling, checking his surroundings all the way. Positive confirmation. Two o'clock. Fifteen meters moving southwest towards the dwelling. The figure, Kashif Kasimi, reaches the dwelling and takes one last look around before slipping in. Anders announces to the team. Lady and gents. The Great Kasimi. Cover your six, Anders? Negative, Vasquez. 
Stokes and I will be back up with our target before they even know we're here. He gives a cocky wink to Claudia and heads off down the hill. Stokes co-signs with a nod as he follows. Claudia shifts her attention between the darkened dwelling, Anders and Stokes scaling down the terrain, and the Taliban troops in their vehicle in the distance. Guns raised, Anders reaches the dwelling's entrance, Stokes following behind and positioning on the opposite side. Anders nods to Stokes who opens the door and the two slip in. After a few seconds of silence, Anders' voice crackles through the comms. Target is secure. Claudia and Walker share a sigh of relief. A sudden spray of gunfire is briefly heard from the dwelling, grabbing the attention of the Taliban vehicle, which starts to move towards it. Claudia and Walker exchange an unsettled look. Team leader, you've been made. Enemy approaching from northwest, 50 meters and closing. Two of the Taliban members leap from the truck, guns drawn, and approach the dwelling on foot. Walker states the obvious. We need to neutralize the threat. This covert up wouldn't be covert for long. Claudia thinks fast, setting a silencer on her rifle. I'm creating a distraction, Anders. Be ready at the door. Copy. Standing by. She turns to Walker. Cover me. And sprints off. 30 meters away, she positions herself behind a rock. She peers out, surveys the scene. The Taliban on foot inch closer to the dwelling, putting Walker on edge. What are you waiting for? The right moment. As she takes aim, voices enter Claudia's mind. Claudia! 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 Hey! Hey! Come on! She shakes her head until the voices stop, then adjusts her grip and locks aim on the walking Taliban. Just then, she gets a better idea. She lowers her firearm and withdraws a flashlight, flickering its light in the walking Taliban's path. The Taliban raise their weapons in Claudia's direction. She vacates her position just as open fire lands beside her. As the Taliban and the vehicle aim their fire in the same position, Anders and Stokes sprint out from the dwelling with a blindfolded and bound Kasimi in tow. Walker takes the walking Taliban out. Claudia returns fire in the vehicle's direction as she reunites with Walker. Anders and Stokes join them moments later. Claudia eyes her team with a look of victory before catching a glimpse of a Taliban member aiming a rocket-propelled grenade launcher in their direction from the vehicle. 12 o'clock! She aims her rifle, inspects the scope, and in one fell swoop, fires around into his chest. The grenade is sent in another trajectory and explodes. You good? Stokes replies. Good. Back to the Humvee. Let's go. Anders heads in their Humvee's direction, followed by Stokes and Walker, who usher Kasimi along. Kasimi stumbles a bit, dropping something he had clasped in his hand. A piece of red fabric. Claudia grabs and pockets it as she follows her team. The Humvee approaches a U.S. detainment center and stops before the entrance. Anders and Stokes jump out, followed by Claudia and Walker, who guide Kasimi along. They are met by a tough and seasoned Commander Polson, who's flanked by military personnel. Well done, Anders. Your team took a little heat out there. Anders appears a bit shaken as he responds. Nothing we can't handle. Kashif Kasimi, welcome to your new home for the foreseeable future. Polson's men grab a shaky Kasimi by each shoulder and lead him away. Claudia's team, minus Anders, surrounds her. High fives all around. Nice moves, Vasquez. You do the same for me. Good work. Thank you, Stoker. 
Stokes and Walker move off, leaving only Claudia and Anders. He offers only a nod of silent gratitude. Claudia nods back and he goes. In the mess hall, Claudia exits a line at a food counter with a full tray. She takes a seat at a table beside a young specialist Donovan, a.k.a. Squeak. He reads a magazine as she reaches into his plate and takes a bite of his muffin. Why don't you get your own? Yours tastes better. You on the team that brought Cassimi in last night? Hell yeah. You assigned to him? Mm-hmm. He giving you trouble? Honestly, I'm feeling some kind of way about this one. How so? Well, nothing about this guy says terrorist. He's shaking, frightened. When I'm interpreting for the interrogators, he keeps talking about his daughter. He needs to find his daughter. That's all he says over and over again. Bad intel, you think? (laughs) Claudia, are you saying our government would make a mistake? What are the interrogators saying? They think I'm mistranslating something. I get that. I blame you for most things, too. Lance Corporal Vasquez. Claudia turns to find a soldier standing at attention behind her. Commander Polson would like to see in his office. Roger that. He leads and she follows, throwing back a peculiar look in Squeak's direction. Claudia sits waiting beside the desk of Polson's secretary as random personnel mill about. Polson's office door opens and Anders exits, wearing a look of disgust. He catches sight of her and glares before moving off. She looks after him, confused. The voices in her head briefly echo again. Claudia! 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 Lance Corporal, the commander will see you now. Claudia nods to Paulson's secretary and hastily goes. An endless display of certificates and award recognition line Paulson's office walls. Not much for small talk but Polson is not so rigid that he can't make a drink for them, which he does. That was an impressive show of sacrifice out there, Vasquez. Thank you, sir. I interviewed the others in your squad. Sounds like this could have all been avoided had Anders heeded your advisement to cover him. I'm sure he did what he felt was best for the mission, sir. He did what he felt was best for his ego. I appreciate you completing this mission and bringing everyone home safe. It was my duty and my pleasure, sir. This will be noted in your jacket for a potential exemplary performance recommendation. She restrains her excitement. Barely. I would be honored, Commander. He beams with pride as he hands her the glass and they drink to it. The troops are in recreational mode. Anders, Stokes, and others are engaged in a football game. At a bench across the way, Claudia and Squeak are involved in a game of chess. Anders runs for a touchdown, but is sideswiped by Stokes. Looks like you need Vasquez to back you up on the football field too, Anders. Kiss my ass. Lucky break. Stokes helps Anders up. As he dusts himself off, Anders throws a disgruntled look in Claudia's direction, feeling his respect waning. She looks away, turning her attention back to the chessboard. How they treating Cassimi? No one's been in to see him since that night. It's like he doesn't matter anymore. By now, there'd be enough evidence in his docket to fill a filing cabinet. I'd be filling out reports till my arm's numb. 
I ain't seen no paperwork, no nothing. At night, I hear him muttering to himself and crying. My daughter, I need to find her. It gets weirder. I want you to meet someone. Squeak's demeanor goes grave in a way Claudia has not seen before. He rises and gestures for her to follow him. Near a row of barracks, Claudia and Squeak approach Harvey Nolan, a sullen, jaded soldier. He takes the last drag of a cigarette and tosses it away when they approach. This is Private Harvey Nolan. His platoon covered the Eastern Valley. Nolan, this is the Lance Corporal I told you about. Claudia Vasquez. What you got? So my unit was patrolling the outpost when we came across a suspicious convoy outside a bazaar. Maybe related to your guy's missing daughter. You report it? Debriefed the sergeant. He ran it up the flagpole. So he said. Nothing. Asked about it the next day. I was told not to bring it up again. You remember where? A few miles southeast of Kalat. That's where we apprehended Kasimi. Headed back anytime soon? He gives her a nod. Mind if I tag along? Nolan looks gravely at Squeak, then to Claudia. Before you do, I need you to understand something. What you're about to see, you'll never be the same again. You won't eat the same. You won't sleep the same. What are we waiting for? That night, a Humvee pulls to a stop near a bazaar. Nolan sits in the driver's seat. Claudia rides shotgun. While she surveys her surroundings, Nolan's eyes stay transfixed on a particular tent. Booyah. Her eyes follow his. Two armed figures, faces masked behind scarves, exit the tent, ushering a group of ten young girls, blindfolded, into the back of a truck. Claudia's heart sinks. What the hell is this? You ask me? Something far above our pay grade. She readies her gear. The hell you think you're going? I'll cover their three. You pick the driver from below and- You're not going anywhere. We just let him leave? We've occupied this city for the last year and a half. This doesn't happen unless we already know it does. Claudia's eyes never leave the scene. The shakiness of the girl's steps. The tight blindfolds from which dry tears escaped. She watches, hopeless, as the truck drives off. We're complicit. I reported it. They stonewalled me every step of the way. Was your guy Kasimi really a terrorist? Or was he a witness? What are we doing here? Good question. Claudia turns to find Anders and other soldiers, guns drawn, beside their Humvee. Let's discuss it with Paulson back at the base. She and Nolan raise their hands and surrender. A trail of Humvees return to base. In the back of the lead Humvee, Claudia and Nolan sit alone, driven by Anders. They converse in hushed tones so as not to be overheard. Maybe there's a piece of the puzzle we're not seeing. 
I've tried to excuse it every which way my mind could. Our government wouldn't tolerate that, much less have a hand in it. I wish I lived in that world. But I'm starting to think that world never really existed. The Humvee pulls to a stop. I'll keep the fire burning. I'll find those girls. You have my word. How will I know you found them? You'll know. His tone cracks a bit at the end, sounding like a very familiar voice. The back opens up and military personnel stand by. Two of them grab Claudia and lead her in one direction. Two grab Nolan and lead him in another. In his office, Polson paces before Claudia, who stands at attention. Two guards occupy a corner of the room behind her. Would you like to tell me how you ended up outside of our perimeter? Kasimi talked about his daughter going missing. I heard other women may have been taken, and I wanted to look into it. Kasimi is an extremely dangerous terrorist, and taking him out of the game was of the utmost importance. Yes, sir. However, his claims turned out to have been true. We witnessed people, girls, being ushered blindfolded into a truck. You don't know what you witnessed. I'm shipping your platoon out into the week. I'm having you secured in the brig until then. And I won't hear you speak on this again. Not to me, your fellow Marines, not to anyone. You understand? Yes, sir. Claudia is crushed as the guards approach from behind and lead her out. Late night in the brig, Claudia sits and stews in silence in her cell. Twenty feet away, a guard is called out of view. Taking his place is Anders, drunk and unsteady on his feet. He eyes Claudia with menace as he approaches. <laughs> you think you're so smart. She looks up just as he reaches her cell door. Sir? A recommendation for saving me? I look like I need saving? You should get some rest, sir. He raises a pair of keys in his hand. Unlocks the cell door, enters, and shuts it behind him. What are you doing? I'm teaching you some respect. He grips her hand. What are you doing? You're gonna learn your place, Vasquez. He pins her to the ground, undoes his pants, keeping his full weight on her. What are you doing? Get off me! Get off me! In present day, gunfire permeates the air as bullets pierce Sam's living room window. He, Claudia, Frank, and Martin all drop to the ground, ducking for cover. Sam crawls to the window and returns fire, then rushes out the door. Frank and Martin exchange confounded looks as they see Claudia mumbling to herself in the corner. They approach her and try to pull her out of it. One Vic, 300 meters northwest, five packs, heavy machine gun, high value target, 100 meters out, positive confirmation, two o'clock, 15 meters. One Vic, 300 meters northwest, five packs, heavy Claudia. machine gun, high value target. Claudia. Hey, it's okay. We need hey. you. Snap out. Claudia. 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 Get off me. Get off me. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's us. It's just us. She snaps to attention, takes in her surroundings. She closes her eyes and calms herself. Sam tiptoes down the steps, gun aimed steadily. He hears a car peel out and quickens his step into a full sprint. By the time he exits the building, 
The attackers have already turned a corner and disappeared. As Sam catches his breath, he notices a brick that smashed his apartment window. There's a message written on it, and he studies it. Squad cars and ambulances surround Sam's apartment complex. Captain Orson huddles with Frank, Claudia, Sam, and Martin. Orson holds the brick, now ensconced in a plastic bag, for evidence. He reads the brick's message aloud. Die, racist pig. Nice penmanship. Two attacks in 24 hours, Sam. Same guy, you think? Nope. Pretty sure the earlier one was a cop. May want to consider another place of residence. If you've been doxxed, there's going to be a line around the block coming for you. You want me to run? I want you to live. With all due respect, Captain Orson, I don't need protection. I am protection. Okay, Rambo. Weren't you cowering behind your door earlier today? Forensics are still combing through the nuke and surrounding items located at the attempted blast site, which turned out to be some sort of covert government building. Why was it planted there? Don't know yet. We're hoping this will help. Orson hands the brick over to an approaching cop, who, in return, hands Orson a tablet. He fiddles with the screen. Any of these items look familiar to you? Orson hands the tablet over to Frank. Sam, Claudia, and Martin gather behind him to view it. As Frank scrolls, they see photos of the government black site, close-ups of the recovered nuclear device and its components, a key card that's burnt to a crisp, and the piece of red fabric. Martin's eyes go wide at the key card. Claudia's reaction to the cloth is frozen to hide her surprise, but behind her eyes is an eager, newfound sense of purpose. Frank is the first to respond. No, nothing. No. I don't see anything. Are you sure of that, Mr. Chen? Take a good, hard look. Look, I'm sorry. I'm a bit shaken after being tortured for three hours. Give me a break. Martin leans into Claudia's ear. We have to go. My family is in danger. Need me to call in law enforcement to escort you? If it was a cop that attacked Officer Rambo over here last night... I think we'll go it alone. We'll be in touch. Claudia and Martin hurry to her car. Sam studies the photo of the building. I think I know that place. It was a dead end to a case I worked with Mac. Tell me more about this case. Mac and I were staking out a deal between some gang affiliation and this gun trafficker who did deals under a front organization. We must have gotten too close to someone important because our case was shut down once the trail led to that location. Remember the name of the organization? Sure, um... Venture Industries Incorporated or something? LLC. Yeah, that's it. Claudia mentioned that company owned the warehouse where your partner was murdered. Why would Rashonda murder Mac there? Perhaps that's where the voice told her to. Her damn TV interview is tomorrow. Couldn't come at a worse time. This city's already on edge. Agent Brubaker get a chance to interrogate the driver? Yeah, then the guy came down with a sudden case of death. Are you implying that our FBI would be party to silencing witnesses? I will say this. It's getting murkier and murkier, Frank. I just watched the playback of the interrogation. The driver mentioned something bigger coming. 
bigger than nuclear whack-a-mole? He knew who Agent Brubaker was. The Bureau's not telling us something. Or Brubaker's working in his own self-interest. The voice said, we'll leave it up to the revolution. What do you think he meant by that? Sam ponders something. I need to see someone. I'll come with you. You need to sober up, Frank. I'll get you back safe, kid. Orson guides Frank to his car. Sam heads back in his apartment. In his apartment, Sam grabs a jacket, heads for a locked cabinet, and opens it, revealing an assortment of guns and ammunition. He selects a couple of guns, pack of bullets, and pockets both. Claudia weaves in and out of traffic. Martin, in the passenger seat, holds on for dear life. Please be careful. Relax, Marty. Just trying to get you to your missus as soon as possible. Would you stop calling me Marty? My friends call me that. Like the lady who just had you beat within an inch of your life? With some exceptions. What the hell's got you so scared, Marty? I'll tell you when I get my family. This won't end with us, you know? No matter what I tell you. It's not just about what you know. It's about what we can piece together collectively. You're not listening to me. If certain things get out, if certain people are revealed to the public, the system, this country, and life as we know it will collapse. That's a bit melodramatic. If one lone nut can bring down this whole country, we would have been wiped off the mat years ago. What happened to you, Marty? You seem like a nice young kid. How'd you get so deep so soon in life? I thought I was in control. And that thought is being stripped away from me more and more each day. It's being stripped away from all of us. How much does your wife know? Nothing. Well, you some splaining to do. We gotta disappear. Start over somewhere. You know the rules. We disappear. He sets off a nuclear device. Who knows where? What does that even mean? Everywhere you go, you're somewhere. What, we can't leave the city? The country? You know what he means. We have to stay in our lives and deal with the fallout. There never was a safety net. Witness protection was never an option. We have a responsibility, Martin, and that goes beyond saving our own ass. You understand that, don't you? It's just up ahead. She slows her speed. Claudia stops before the front door of a mansion. She hands Martin her phone. Give me 20 minutes. 10. It's not just my wife I have to deal with. It's my father-in-law as well. 15. One second longer, I hobble your ass and drag you all out myself. You really need help, you know that? If you don't hurry your ass up, you're gonna need help. Martin shakes his head incredulously as he dials. Hello? Hey, I'm here. Meet me at the door. My father wants to speak with you. Of course he does. He hangs up and gives Claudia a look before tossing her phone back in her hands, exiting the car and making his way to the front door. Angela opens it and runs into his arms. When she pulls away, she notices the bruises on his face. <gasps> Marty? What happened? 
I'll tell you in a minute. Angela peers over his shoulder at Claudia, who looks back with a cold stare. Is that what's her name, Claudia? That's her, all right. Did she do this to you? No, although I don't doubt she would. Come on. Martin guides Angela back into the house. Claudia watches as the door closes. Orson's car stops near Frank's front door. Silence passes between them as Orson searches for the words. Have you spoken to Nora? Frank nods, head lowered. Probably for the last time. I lost my daughter. Now my wife. I'm an embarrassment to the force. What do I have to live for? <laughs> Don't do this to yourself, Frank. Don't let this voice win. The man I knew, he was a master at de-escalation. He turned deadly standoffs into peaceful resolutions. He found a way when there wasn't one. That's the Frank we all remember. That's the one we need right now. Frank exits the car. Orson leans over to the passenger window and studies Frank's face. Hey, kid. Can I trust you alone with that sidearm? He gestures to Frank's jacket where his gun is holstered. I'll see you tomorrow, Captain. We gotta find this son of a bitch. Damn right we do. Frank watches Orson pull away. He takes in the silent night for a moment before making his way up his walkway, fumbling through his pocket for his keys. As he withdraws them, they clumsily slip through his fingers and onto the walkway. He scoffs at his own inebriation. Just then, Elias appears from behind a bush by his front door, a gun drawn to Frank's head as he approaches. Elias is sweaty, nervous, and his gun shakes unsteadily as he aims it. Frank slowly raises his hands. Sorry. Everyone gets to suffer because of you. I lost my job. I couldn't support my family. So they left me. You know what happened to me in jail? You know what happened to me in jail. Frank's demeanor eases as if accepting his fate. You gonna... You gonna talk me down, Frank? That's what you did for a living, right? Go on. Go on, talk me down. Frank lowers his hands and takes a step closer to Elias. Elias looks confused as he takes a step back. What are you doing? You can say I try to take the gun. Are you crazy? I'm tired. I'll kill you. I know. Frank takes another step toward Elias, who doesn't budge this time. Elias's expression turns from vengeance to defiance. You don't deserve an easy way out. Elias turns the gun on himself. No! Frank lunges for the gun and grabs it just as it fires. Both hold on to the gun as they drop to the ground, fighting for it. Once Frank wrestles the gun away from his grip, Elias leaps to his feet and takes off into the night. Frank lies on the ground, exhausted, as he cradles Elias's gun. In the mansion,
mentioned foyer, Martin pleads his case to Angela's father, who suppresses his rage as he listens. A bookie? Yes, sir, a bookie. I made some bad bets and they came back to haunt me. I panicked and just wanted to make sure my family was safe. You pay? Yes. It's all being taken care of, sir. Martin, you had one responsibility. Take care of my daughter. You are a disappointment. If you fail her again, I will take care of you myself. Is that understood? Yes, sir. He storms out of the foyer, throwing Angela a disapproving glance on his way out. Once her father's out of view, Martin pulls Angela toward him. Where's Miles? We're leaving. Tell me what is happening. I just did. Marty, I love you, but you're full of shit. I'm not going anywhere until you tell me what you did. Why Claudia is here and where are we going with our son? Martin is cornered. He checks his watch. He's running out of time. You remember my trip to Brazil? Yes. With that client who called you Marty? I can still smell her desperate perfume. Well, I thought I was a financial advisor for her real estate company. You are not? No. Their company is just a front organization. For what? Illegal arms. Like prosthetic arms? No, like guns. Illegal arms dealers. What happened when you tried to leave? Angela, the money they offer me is set us up forever. Look at how we've lived for the last three years. It's the life you always wanted. Marty, are you insane? What if you get killed? What if you get caught? That latter question sends Martin's memory to a fateful evening in Brazil. A nightclub in Brazil. Martin sambas his way through a crowded dance floor, finishing off a drink followed by the puff of a cigar. He plops onto a bar stool and attempts to get the bartender's attention. The bartender breezes by, unaware. As he waits, Annabelle, 30 and stunning, gives him a warm smile as she sits beside him. Martin returns a flirty one of his own. He swiftly puts out the cigar. Where are my manners? Right in place, it seems. Can I buy you a drink? No, but I can buy you one. She gestures to the bartender, holding up two fingers. You stand out. What are you doing here? In town, on business. The bartender returns with two shots. They toast and down them. Let me guess. Oil tycoon. <laughs> Financial analyst. I'm here to research some property. Really? Is that what you do? Or... Is that what you think you do? What is this? Some sort of existential riddle? More like a contradiction. How can someone in a squeaky clean position also be a dirty, money laundering criminal? Martin's joviality fades, realizing how serious Annabelle has become. She revels in the moment. What is your relation to Vera Diaz? She's my client. <laughs> no. You are hers. Follow me. She rises from her barstool, begins to walk, 
then stops and turns to face a confused and uncertain Martin who hasn't budged. Mr. Chen, it's in your best interest to follow me. He steps down from his barstool with trepidation and cautiously follows after her. Annabelle leads Martin into a darkly lit private room, illuminated only by a laptop sitting on a coffee table, flanked by two semicircle couches on either side. Random bodyguards are positioned throughout the room. She sits in front of the laptop and gestures for Martin to follow, which he does. On the laptop display is a massive estate sitting on acres of land. Is this the property in question? I feel like I should have my lawyer present. I'm sure it's lovely, and Vera may even show you around. I mean, that is the parts that don't involve gun running. Now, accessory. That carries a sentence of, oh, I don't know, 15 to 20? Your son would barely recognize you by the time you get out. Who are you? She stands and places her hands in her pockets, which opens her blazer wide enough to reveal a CIA badge fastened to her waist. He goes pale. I'm your way out of this, Mr. Chen. Your lawyer can't help you. He's the one who got you into this. Albert O'Malley, correct? He put you in touch with Vera? Martin leaps to his feet, trying on confidence for a change. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're looking for, but I can't help you. Guns are not the only thing that Diaz's traffic, Mr. Chen. Drugs, organs, people, children. He's horrified at the thought. Annabelle's passion is palpable. Now, I'm sure it's a lucrative offer to just play make-believe while you cover for the arming of your average neighborhood militia. No harm, no foul, right? I mean, you haven't personally killed anyone. But that list I just read? That could haunt a person's soul for life. Unless you don't have one. I should get back now. She exchanges looks with her security, then withdraws a card from her pocket and places it in Martin's. Give us a call. What you're in the middle of, you're going to need a friend. Could be worse. You could have no friends at all. Unsteady on his feet. Martin cautiously exits. Martin subdues that hidden memory, returning to panic mode. We have to disappear, and I think I know someone who can help. The voice will set off a device if we do. I don't care. All I care about is my family. I can't leave my father. We'll send for him once we're safe. I promise. What about Claudia? His eyes wander, searching for an answer. Then finding one. We need to ask your father for a favor. Underground in a police station parking garage, Officer Pope ambles to his squad car. Pope! He turns and looks surprised to see Sam, bruised and slightly limping, heading toward him. Hey there, Sammy. Whoa, what happened here? I need to get a hold of our venture contact. Venture Industries? You want a coffin with that? I can handle myself. It's connected to this voice bullshit. Ah, your good friend, The Voice. You might want to think about getting reassigned to another precinct. Max death just doesn't sit right with us. 
Who's us? Anyone with respect for this uniform and what we sacrifice for the greater good. Mac didn't see that in you. He thought about requesting another partner. Did you know that? He wasn't sure if you had his back. I didn't set Mac up. You worried I'm gonna find out who did? Or you worried what else I'm gonna find? Sam holds a poker-faced Pope in his stare before walking away. He stops to face Pope one last time. Another thing? I ever find you in my place again? Maybe you don't leave with your life. Not sure what you mean. If you want to attack someone anonymously, make sure you wear a different shitty aftershave. Pope watches ominously as Sam steps away. A field hospital in Afghanistan. Nurse Sophie enters a younger Claudia's room with her clipboard. Claudia is in a daze, scars across her face starting to heal. She sits up in her bed, bouncing a ball across the room. It routinely hits the wall and bounces back to her hand. She pretends not to notice as Sophie takes a seat beside her. Ah, working out the South Pole today, huh? Sophie leans near Claudia's face, hoping she'll be noticed this time. Claudia continues to avoid eye contact. Sophie grabs the ball before Claudia can. We gonna talk today, Vasquez? Claudia maintains her distant gaze, enshrouded in a self-imposed wall of silence. Sophie finally tires of it. You think you're the only victim here, Claudia? It was an office party. He dropped something in my drink earlier. I didn't feel well, and he offered to take me home. I can remember trying to fight hands off my shirt and then my skirt. I I remember the way he whispered. He said, Open your mouth. I tried to pull away. He pulled me tighter and he he said it's lower. Open your mouth. Sophie has Claudia's full attention, both coming to tears. It took years to admit what happened. And then what do they say? He should have said something sooner. He'd be honorably discharged. That's what I was told. How do you take someone's humanity and get to keep your benefits? And then you have to endure the accusations and retaliations. For what? Being a victim? I shut down completely after that. He gets to live on a full person, and now I'm just a shell of one. But I learned I I may not be able to control what happened to me, but I control who I become as a result of it. And you do too, Claudia. You do too. Where is he now? 
Retired. A decorated veteran. Somewhere upstate, last I heard. That's not the ending he deserves. <laughs> Tell me about it. What was his name? Lieutenant General Lou Erickson. Lou awakens in his living room, bound to a chair. Music blares loud enough to drown out any sounds the neighbors could hear. Claudia paces before him. What do you want? I don't want anything. In fact, this isn't even about me. Well, who? What? You know what. And you know who. She walks behind him and kneels. She withdraws and opens a pocket knife and places it against his pinky finger. But to show how fair I am, I'll give you ten guesses. I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> now you got nine. Lou cries as Claudia slices. Sophie sits alone at her desk one night, studying. Her phone rings. She looks at the display. Grave concern takes hold as she answers. Hello? You told me I am in control of who I become. Well, that's not all I'm in control of. Vasquez? Are you all right? It's done. What's done? Claudia? Claudia, what did you do? I gave him the ending he deserved. Erickson? You got a shovel? Yes. Meet me outside in one hour. Claudia. Thank you. Sophie rests back into her chair. Fear and horror soon giving way to a peaceful relief. Claudia hangs up the phone as she sits in her car. Across the street, Anders exits from a bar in a drunken stumble, an equally spirited woman under his arm. He finishes a beer and tosses the bottle into the street. Claudia's eyes follow as Anders ushers the woman into his passenger door, jumps into the driver's side, and takes off. Claudia starts her car and follows... Present-day Claudia sits in her car in front of the mansion, checking in with her parole officer, Joe, via FaceTime on her phone. Joe's tone is stern as usual. Your daughter knocked a fellow student out with a pinch to the shoulder at recess. Any idea where she learned that? None whatsoever. She says, suppressing a prideful smile. She's just a little woozy, but it could have been a lot worse. You don't want her to go down a road of violent behavior like her mother, do you? I'm sorry, are you my daughter's parole officer or mine? I've been asked by the FBI to give you some leeway to help end this crisis. Otherwise, if it were up to me, I'd have you wearing two ankle monitors. <laughs> Good thing there's a terrorist on the loose then, huh? I've been monitoring you for four months now, Claudia, and I don't see a hint of regret. My time served was my regret. And I did nothing wrong. I was found innocent and I've been exonerated. You were found not guilty, and that's not the same as innocent. Just because you avoided serious prison time over a trial penalty, that doesn't mean I'm going to be any less lenient on you as an ex-convict. If not for the plea bargain, you'd be locked under the jail. I was assaulted, Joe. 
Do you have any sympathy for that at all? Of course I do, but I can't condone you being a vigilante. I couldn't believe in my job if I did. I know what you've done, Claudia. And when the world does too, you'll pay one way or another. Claudia sports a curious look as she ponders that last thought. One way or another. I have to check on a hunch, Joe. Can I call you back? You better. Claudia hangs up and scowls in the mansion's direction. From the mansion's library, Martin peers out into the hallway. He observes anxiously as Angela holds a hushed, tense conversation with her father, who shakes his head vehemently against her request. Martin ducks back into the library and crosses to a window. He watches Claudia, who sits in the car, FaceTiming Joe. His eyes land, finally, on a locked cabinet containing a gun and rifle collection. Sam occupies his desk at the police station, tapping away at his keyboard. He opens and closes folder after folder until coming upon one labeled Venture. He takes a casual look around for prying eyes before attaching a folder to an email and sending it. He shuts his laptop down and goes. Angela rushes into the library. I got the keys. Great. Come on. Let's get Miles. He takes her hand and whisks her out. Martin, Angela, and Miles move hastily into a garage lined with several expensive vehicles. Angela loads the back of a Bentley with luggage. Hurry. I am. She locks Miles into place and hurries into the passenger seat before having a revelation. Miles is back. She makes her way back toward the house. Before she passes Martin, he opens the garage door, revealing Claudia standing by, pistol by her side. Going somewhere? Martin and Angela are frozen in place. In a moment of desperation, Martin whips out a gun, pulls Angela in front of him like a shield, and aims his gun at Claudia just as she raises hers. <gasps> Marty! Marty, what are you doing? Martin drags Angela to the driver's side door like a hostage, keeping aim on Claudia, whose aim, unfortunately, rests on Angela. Back up! Back up! Get back! Damn it, Martin! Marty, stop it! I'm getting out of here. That's all I want. I can't let you do that. The voice is bluffing. He won't set anything off. You don't know what the fuck he's gonna do. You're just a scared, selfish little shit, and you're gonna get thousands of people killed. Claudia searches for a hit, but finds none. Martin slips into the car. Don't do this. As he starts the car and pulls Angela in, Claudia misses an attempt to clip Martin's leg. In one swift move, Martin steps on the gas in reverse, clipping Claudia with the open driver's side door and sending her rolling onto the ground. The Bentley screeches off into the night, leaving Claudia writhing in pain and gritting her teeth. Frank is fast asleep in his bed. His phone rings, and he groggily answers. Yeah? Hello, Frank? Frank sits at attention, eyes wide open now. Did I wake you? Who are you? Me. I'm nobody, just a concerned citizen and your biggest supporter. Frank leaves the bed and wanders through his apartment, drifting from one room to another. He journeys from window to window, looking for someone, searching empty parked cars, 
wooded areas, and barren neighborhood windows. Supporter. Nora was all I had left. She'll never talk to me again. I'm not hurting you, Frank. I'm cleansing you. Your daughter's death was a horrible accident. But it was yours. You couldn't hide that forever. Staring into a loaded gun the rest of your life. You didn't want to live with that secret anymore. You know that. And I knew it. So I lifted that burden for you. Why? We have work to do, Frank. The system has rotted to the core. The masses are lost. They're hurt. They're confused. And you know the way. Yes. And so do you. And Martin. And Claudia. And Sam. You want to be a hero again? Now's your chance. Frank looks inward. The longer he looks outward. What do you say, Frank? What took you so long? That concludes Chapter 4 of No Other Way. I am its creator, James Dinkins. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to donate to our production at paypal.me slash dinkinsfilm. That's paypal.me slash D-I-N-K-I-N-S-F-I-L-M. And be sure to follow us on social media at No Other Way Pod. That's No Other Way, P-O-D. Thank you for listening.